We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. You have Alex Hurst, Charlotte Robson, Simon Campbell, and Norman George Riley, as he's named himself, um, on YouTube. We're streaming this on YouTube as well, uh, something we're going to start doing more often. But we're going to get right into Newcastle United's 2-0 defeat at Aston Villa. Um, There's a lot to say. There's a lot to go through. So we're going to get straight into it. And Simon Campbell, you want to talk first? Um, Yeah. I I switched off the game at 85 minutes last night because it's just it's where we've been going for 18 months and um, no one listening to this will be surprised to hear me dig out Steve Bruce as I have done from the very start. I was absolutely devastated. He was put in charge of Newcastle. I cancelled my direct debit um, as soon as I knew he was going to be our manager and Rafa Benitez wasn't um, because I knew this would happen and I was I had to kind of sit quietly and watch last season when the results were slightly better than anyone was expecting. And I and I think Norman, you regularly have put it that down to the the spirit and the strength of the squad that Benitez had left behind, and that kind of no die attitude. We were picking up results still last season, in spite of the signs being there. As far as I'm concerned, that this manager didn't have a clue what he was doing. So after last night's game, I was I was really really angry because this is we've just, we've all wasted 20 months of our lives with this now. Um, and if he gets sacked tomorrow, I'll be even more angry because that's just proof that. It was a waste of time, and why the why the fuck have we bothered with the last twenty months with Steve Bruce? That's why it's so angry now. I mean, the football is 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 has been appalling for weeks and weeks now, and getting worse. But the it's more when you look back at well, actually, for eighteen months we've endured this, and everyone said it. Everyone said it at the start, so and we were called idiots. We were called, um, you know, our Newcastle fans are regularly and still, even last night on um on on live television, being told that our expectations are too high and it's. You know, the, the, the manager's doing the best with what he's got. He's not. He's not. And Newcastle can be better. Even under Mike Ashley, Newcastle can be better than this. So that's why I'm so angry that all the hard work and the the groundwork that Benitez put in, and yes, it hadn't necessarily produced anything yet, and we were still a bottom half team as he left us, but there was something there. And all of that's been undone, and we're back to not even square one. We're way, way below what square one was. So that's why. And I think I speak for quite a lot of people here. I don't like to say that I am, but... I'm sure there's many others that feel the same way that the last two years has been a total waste of everybody's time. And it looks like it's going to end in relegation. Couldn't agree more. And I think it's interesting that it generates such anger in all of us because none of it is a surprise. This is what we expected. 
when the when Rafa left and the whispers of Bruce started, even at that point, we were like, well, this is going to end disastrously because his record as a manager tells us that. This is a man who was sacked from Sunderland in 2011. In what world is he going to come in and take on a Premier League team and improve them eight, nine years later? It was never going to happen. It was never, ever going to happen. And it doesn't give me any satisfaction to remember that when he was appointed, we said it'll be okay for the first season because of what Rafa set up, because of the team spirit that was engendered, the way that players have been trained for two to three years. And then the second season was always going to be a difficult one. It doesn't give any satisfaction to to see what we said come true. But at the same time, how how can we see it as, as mere fans, yet his friends in the media don't question it, couldn't see it? And how on earth did Lee Charnley or whoever appointed Steve Bruce not see this? How do you not learn from appointing managers with poor track records, consistently poor track records over years and years of their managerial careers aren't going to improve you and are going to take you one way? How do you not learn from that? It's absolutely abysmal. It is an abysmal appointment that has worked out absolutely as we saw it as fans, yet we're the ones being told that we should accept this. It's absolutely ridiculous. Somebody like Jamie Redknapp again last night talking about what do we expect? I'll tell you what we don't expect. We don't expect this. It's shocking and um, it's absolutely infuriating. And uh, I like, like Sai, as soon as the appointment was announced, I cancelled my direct debit. I mean, who, who knew COVID was coming, right? But um, the reason I cancelled it was because I had utterly no faith in him as a manager. This isn't a, a dig at Steve Bruce as a person, although, you know, some of these comments to, to the media that we're going to could make you end up disliking him. Um, I don't know the man, but as a manager, purely objectively, this was never going to work out. It was always going to go, going to go the way it's gone. And here we are. I think um, on the point, Norman, that you've made there about um, how did they not learn? Well, there's a few things at play there, aren't there? It, they don't want to, they don't care. It's it's short term. It's always short term. I think it must be from from the top. Um, and then this this takeover was on the table, wasn't it? So it's just like we'll just we'll just paper over this crack for now. We need a manager. Here's someone who will do it because you know if reports are to be believed, um, last summer he's like eleventh or twelfth choice. The, the, the you know not by any means the first person that they approached. This was this was an appointment just to just to you know a stopgap in in my opinion and. And I don't think that the powers that be at, at Newcastle United give a shit about about um, learning from their past mistakes. It's it's I, I, I can't. That's how that I can't see how they possibly could, and appoint a manager like Steve Bruce. Go on, site. Yeah, I think that's the most most terrifying thing is that yes, we we were all told or at least read that Bruce was way down the list in terms of who he wanted as manager. Lee Charney tried to dispute that and said, oh, that's that's an insult. That's not not how it was. But I tend to believe it was because how on earth Steve Bruce would ever be in anyone's top three, five, ten as a choice of Premier League manager it doesn't make any sense. So it had to be that he was one of the few people willing to take the job. And that scares me as after 13 years, there are now no respectable football managers who would dare work for these people. So well, obviously I said, well, I want Bruce gone, but I'm terrified that the options out there willing to take this job now and work for these people as as we've been warned by Keegan as we've been warned by Shearer as we've been warned by Benitez that terrifies me uh, I'll just um, 
respond to what Charlotte said there. I think that's a very good point you made on obviously the the takeover being in the process of supposedly being done at that particular point in time. However, this was July, and the rumours by this point were that the, the takeover had stalled quite significantly. Yeah. And my concern is, is that they gave him a three-year contract. So even if the club was, you know, even if he was a stopgap, it's just odd giving him a three-year contract. I mean, why, why not two, for example, you know, or, or even even one if he was that desperate to come as he supposedly was. Um, but also the fact that even if Mike Ashley wants to sell the club, the way to sell the club, surely, is for that club to be in the Premier League still. And if the deal was stolen at that point in time, which it was, where's the logic in appointing someone who you know really, I mean, in, in, unless you've got absolutely zero idea about football, I mean zero, you know ultimately that Steve Bruce is going to cause you great problems and you possibly end up in the championship. So for me, it just kind of ties into the utter short, the utter short-sightedness of a club that has appointed Joe Kinnear, Steve McLaren in my time, uh, in, in their time in, in charge. It's, it's, it's spectacularly bad. Um, I could go on and on, but I'll stop and I'll let someone else come in. Sorry. I just want to make one sort of final point. I'm sure we move on. I did a show last night with George Culkin. The audio is on our Patreon. The video is on YouTube um, if you want to look at it. But somebody did ask sort of about the, the you know, the takeover and the Premier League. And, and George pointed out that he's never written, said or heard that the takeover hinges on us being in the Premier League. Um it probably does, um, but from the buyers, that's never been a message that he gets. It would definitely change the price, and Mike Ashley probably wouldn't be as keen. It's it, it certainly, you know, his asset, and he wants this quarter of a billion quid um, if he can get it. But I don't, like, from what he said, I, I didn't get the impression it definitely does hinge on us being in the Premier League. So that's something. I'll, uh, I'm sure. The Honourable George Cogan knows far more than me on these things, but I would worry that the whole point of the the PIF of Saudi Arabia supposedly buying a Premier League club, and you know whatever the allegations are about sports washing or if it's just good PR, good old PR, like the United Arab Emirates and Manchester City. But um, first of all, you know this, this. My point is is broader that, and I get it, I get why you brought it up Charlotte, and I get why you brought it up Norman. The takeover for me doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. Yeah. Now, it, may, it might exist, and that's contradictory. But it, we're at the stage now, and I've written about this for the next fanzine, which is out very soon with a very special front cover, which I'm really looking forward to getting out there. Um, it's that I feel a lot of fans spend too much time worrying about what Newcastle United might look like in the future, and not what Newcastle United looks like right now. And to even be talking about a takeover in the Championship is just to me, it's it's an absurdity. It's absurd. Um, if Newcastle were relegated, I've, I actually got a few messages last night from people saying, oh, well, if we were relegated, it wouldn't be the end of the world because PIF could take over the championship and bring us up. Well, doesn't, you still have to sit the Premier League owners and directors test. Every newly promoted club, has to, their, their owners, if they've not been in the Premier League before, has to sit the test. So we're back to square one. And I read so much about milk being allowed in the Qatar and... Um, TV channels and all of this stuff but what I don't read about is the issue that Richard Masters is on record for saying that the reason that the takeover didn't go ahead um, was because of who controlled PIF and therefore who controlled the football club and I appreciate it might not be uh, sexy enough for people to write about that and you can't get a load of uh, columns out about that and you can't um, 
you know, breaking news being sports is allowed in Saudi Arabia. Oh, actually, no, it's not, but but it might be soon. So this is fantastic. No one seems to want to actually address that key point on record. Um, I didn't plan to start talking about the takeover, but this is the beauty of of, of the podcast, isn't it? Um, but it is. But I'm really pleased that you brought it up because, to me, I think I think I think what you have just said there, both of you, is indicative of what's going on at the club at the minute, particularly at the highest level. I'm like Ashley, it's keep it ticking over, keep it ticking over, keep it ticking over. It'll not be my problem soon. And it yeah. looks increasingly like not only will it be his problem soon, well, it is his problem now, is that it'll be his problem soon as a championship club. And as a championship club, uh, Newcastle United will not come back under Mike Ashley. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that right now. It's it's almost a mathematical impossibility to do what he did twice in terms of automatic promotion. Back in the championship season in 2016, I, I've no idea what the stats are like now. But um, I did some research for our promotion attempt then and just to kind of try and recognise the achievement of automatic promotion after the first time of being relegated. And since they turned it into the championship, from, it's just a name change, essentially, but from Division One of the Championship, um, only one in seven clubs that had been relegated were automatically promoted back to the Premier League. And we've done it in two of those clubs, of that very small amount of clubs with Newcastle, under Mike Ashley. For, for, it's just it's simply not going to happen a third time. We could probably do a different podcast. I don't want to have to do that podcast, but we we'll probably will have to do a different podcast about that in the coming months, maybe on Patreon. But, yeah, I, I just think that the takeover stuff is so damaging um, and, and I get it, and I understand why fans are so, um, you know, engrossed in it and and feel like it's worth fighting for. And, and that's fine and, and do all that. But but I think there's, two, like, you've got a club in free fall. You've got a club that is sliding in one direction. You've got a club that we're going to talk about now in terms of the context of this game last night, but also the season. And yet I still hear from fans take over, take over, take over. And it's like, no, the, the issues are now, the issues in front of us, they're not going to be solved by a takeover. And if they are, fantastic. I'd love to be proved wrong. And this isn't me saying I have any kind of knowledge about whatever's going on behind closed doors or legal action. I don't, I'm as ignorant as everyone else on this subject in that I, I rely on what I read in the media for it. But I'm sick of, of, of people not examining and not putting Mike Ashley under pressure. I'm sick of reading that Mike Ashley's one of us and that he is... You know, he wants to sell the club, so he's doing the best he can for the club. Well, no, he's not. If he wanted to sell the club, he'd, he'd knock £150 million off the asking price and sell it the mark, probably. But like you say, he wants his, his, his getting on for, for half a billion, he wants £350 million plus. He wants that money for this football club. Can anyone listen to this say that this football club gives you anything other than a sense of like crushing disappointment and loathing? And Mike actually wants nearly half a billion quid for it. I know he's a good salesman, but Jesus Christ... Um, let's, he's supposed to be a good salesman when he's when he's selling things cut price cut the price <laughs> a great point <laughs> um, let's talk about let's talk about last night and I think I want to talk about the, the tactical setup and, and some of some of the things that we did but I, I feel like we have to address first of all Charlotte you know the absolute I, I, I don't want to be nasty I was going to say something horrible there the awful quotes, the awful quotes from Steve Bruce after the match, which are offensive. I find them offensive. He manages to offend me as a man. Um, what, what is it that he said in particular, Charlotte, that you would like to highlight? Oh, um, all of it. <laughs> but um, particularly, I suppose, um, he came out, you know, I had it on the telly. I said to my dad, like, wait, and let's let's make sure we see what, what he has to say about that. And 
I think I think for me the problem is the like disingenuous like dishonesty really um that is offensive because he came out and he said that there were um there were uh encouraging signs from last night he was encouraged by our performance against Aston Villa now I don't know a, a single fan who watched last night's performance and found it encouraging um there's the that's offensive um it, it's like being like you know it drives people insane it's like me looking outside now and saying well that's daytime and then somebody coming along and be like no that's night be, no, but i can see it and it's day it's like, no no that's night that drives people insane. that literally makes people go crazy and and that's what's happening here i'm being told by somebody that there are encouraging signs on the pitch and that is not what I'm seeing. And it's not what everybody, like, I'm very grateful for social media and for our group and all of that, because to sort of corroborate the fact that I'm not going crazy, am I? Like, that really wasn't very good. Um, the uh, the comments about um, uh, ASM and Fraser um, finally being able to play them in tandem, um, I, you know, finally, you know, he's able to get a bit of creativity on the pitch, and and that, and, and he's very encouraged by that, and that's something that he wants to, to um, to sort of go forward with. Well, that's just um, yeah. See, it's it's on the screen now. If you're watching this on YouTube, there were large parts I was pleased about, certainly with the introduction of Saint Maxim, who he called Saint Maximum, by the way, and Ryan Fraser in particular. Um, those were last minute substitutions and yes there was a, a moment a couple of minutes after St Max came on and there was a little bit of a flurry and there was a little bit of, of something really I'm I am I am scraping the barrel here because that was yes, because <laughs> that was it um and and I thought but but I was watching and I was like St Max is knackered like he wasn't running he was he, he was he and 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 fair enough he's been ill and he hasn't been in the country and he hasn't been training I didn't think that he should make the squad yesterday, but fine. Um, I just, I just despair because it's it, it, the stuff that he said after is so at odds with what we're seeing on the pitch and the results and the statistics. And that what are we now? Ten games without a win. Like it, it's not enough to be encouraged by a couple of individuals' performances at this stage in the season. It's too late. Yeah, I, I, you've said it really well, Charlotte. That, that quote that was just on the screen there was—I think he was pressed. Like, so what? What were the positives there, Steve? And that was all he could come up with. That at a point in that football match, he had both Maximan and uh, Ryan Fraser on the pitch at the same time. And then he's—he described that as if it's like that's what we've been planning for the whole time. Like, as soon as we can get them two playing at the same time, that's going to solve all our problems. And that again terrifies me. If he—if that's all he thinks we need is that those two players are on the pitch at the same time, that's going to solve all our problems. It's an insult to everybody that, that he thinks that that's all it takes and that we should just believe that. Um, it, it's just, it's staggering that, that that's after 20 months. And I'm sure um, there's been occasions when they've both been fit. I'm sure he's had other opportunities to play them both at the same time. So to suddenly say, suddenly say now that um, that's the that's what we've got to look forward to is them two playing. And he's, he then says something like, I'm confident that, uh, that that'll improve things. And you know what? It might, it might add a little bit more flair to the team, but that's not... That's not the only problem we have. And he's doing the exact same thing that we've hammered him for for weeks and weeks now, which is just talking about having a player on the pitch, having more attacking players available, as if that's the problem, just putting different personnel on the pitch. 
well, Steve, you've, you've had different personnel nearly every game now for about 10 weeks and you've been chopping and changing everything. It doesn't make a difference. There's more to football management than just picking players and nothing he says makes me think that he understands that. Couldn't agree more. A couple of things from that. The Fraser and Maximan, Maximum introductions um, <laughs> baffled me to the extent that he started the game with Andy Carroll up top and no natural wingers on the pitch. And then he took off Andy Carroll and brought on two wingers. I just couldn't get my head around the logic there. Um, another issue with one of his comments at the end of the match. I have seen enough to be encouraged. Yes, we have to accept defeat, but there was enough there to work on. There's plenty to work on, Steve. Like literally everything, everything <laughs> done, going to be the person working on it. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And and I think like it's weird, isn't it? Because we're 20 minutes into this podcast almost. And I have to I have to make this clear that Newcastle's performance last night was unacceptable. It was once again an unacceptable performance away from home to at the time the team placed 12th in the Premier League. And just as the same as Arsenal on Monday night, it was the team placed 12th in the Premier League and we'll put in another unacceptable performance. We'll put in a performance which is consistent with how, with how we've performed in many games under this manager in that if like Morecambe went to Villa in the Cup and put in that performance, they'd be encouraged. Wouldn't be pleased they'd be encouraged because they went kept the score down. Yes, they gave away a few chances. Didn't create anything at all of note. Um, but we're not Morecambe. We're not in League 2 when he cast United supposed to be in the Premier League, supposed to be pushing for a top 10 finish with with all these improvements that Steve sees, it, what kind of baseline does he think he was starting from? You know, if if, if, if there was an encouragement after, you know, after all, after, after Man City was was an encouragement, that was an improvement. He was encouraged against Man City. All right, great. We got beat two and didn't have a chance. Could have been beat 5-0. He was encouraged. He was really encouraged after Liverpool when we're, we kept a clean sheet and we could have been beaten 3 or 4-0 on another night. But what a point, a good point. I mean, Liverpool's form since then doesn't, you know, takes the shine off that point somewhat. And, and Liverpool, out of all the games they've played in this tough run, they haven't when they failed to score. Would probably say that was their best performance in the, the, the game they could have won easily. Leicester, well, I would say, will put in an unacceptable performance again. Uh, he was pleased by that and he was encouraged then. Um, then we went to Arsenal in the Cup. He was very encouraged, despite, you know, we had a couple of chances uh, to win that game, but we lost, um, partly due to his tactical inflexibility and, un, you know, unwillingness to, um, to make any kind of tactical change during the game when the game was there for the taking. Sheffield United, he was really disappointed, and it was it was a hand grenade performance. It was it came from nowhere. You have to understand that, Conte Steve Bruce, unplanned. It came from nowhere. Then went to Arsenal again and got beat three 0 and were terrible, maybe even worse than last night. And he was he was encouraged again. There were good signs, and then again last night there were good signs. So hopefully, I've been able to demonstrate by going through these games and these comments that the bloke is, is he's, he's doing one of three things, or possibly all three. He's lying to us as supporters. He's lying to present a version of reality to his boss, who he doesn't, he knows, doesn't really make that much, pay that much attention, um, and, and and just listens to what he says after games, and then always lying to himself. Um, and all three are lamentable, and all three have different levels of impact on his job. Um, but ultimately, I think all three are true, and I think he's stuck in this delusional reality where he knows he probably won't get sacked, so he has no pressure from above. Now, can any of you people I'm talking to, any people watching, I'm not saying everyone needs pressure in their working environment to succeed, but, you know, it helps. It, it, you know, a lot of people rely on it. Feedback, constructive feedback, everything. It, you know, Steve Bruce and football managers wouldn't be 
wouldn't be any different. And, and I hear a lot about Steve Bruce looking unwell. I hear a lot about him carrying the, world, the weight of the world on his shoulders, and, and maybe that's true. But then, but then that doesn't tally up with with the kind of things we're talking about in this podcast and the kind of comments he makes after each game. And you touched on it, Charlotte, earlier about it being offensive and disrespectful, and it literally makes people go mad. I've for a long time on this podcast since Steve Bruce became the manager, like I like to think I tried to stay away from analysing too much of what he said because you should judge a manager by the results on the pitch and the performances on the pitch. But I don't know what's more damning. The performances on the pitch are the things that he says. They're both so bad. They're both so below what you'd expect in the required standard from the manager of Newcastle United that combined together, like, I really dislike the bloke. And I know it's, you know, you shouldn't say that. And, and it's like, he might be a nice guy, really. No, I don't think he's a nice guy. I think I, I don't like him. I think if he was a nice guy, he would he, he wouldn't he wouldn't insult fans. You know who 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 are his comments for? Who you know the pre match pre match press press conference on Friday? Who was that for? Who was it aimed at? You know I'm going to put some of his comments on the screen now for people watching on YouTube. You know we're halfway. We've been stuck on 19 points for the past six games, so we've had a difficult period. There's no dispute in that, but I've seen enough to say we can finish where we finished last year or above. What what, what about the Newcastle in the past 10 games? By the way, um, for the past six games, he says six games, not true. And this is another huge frustration for me. He totally ignores the performances against Leeds and Fulham. And I'd, I'd throw West Brom into that as well. He it's like it didn't happen. The 5-2 defeated Fulham, who will play on Tuesday, who are now 12th. We'll just keep playing teams that are 12th. It's, uh, it's a version of hell. <laughs> Um, they keep getting battered by teams in mid-table. Yeah, Leeds. Um, I got confused. You said Fulham, but I got confused. But it's oh, right. Sorry, yeah. Fulham, uh, Leeds on Tuesday. Yeah. But it says, so, so, so Steve Bruce has built this narrative of constant improvement whilst losing, losing badly without, without creating chances or having shots. And everyone needs to get behind that because, it, you know, because the pressure doesn't help because because some of the stuff that's been written has been disrespectful. And it's like, I would love to be able to ask him, tell me how you think we should react as supporters. Tell me what you think, Steve Bruce, would be a reasonable response to this situation that you um, that you, that you, you find this, you know, that we find ourselves in, Charlotte. He did say, didn't he, touched on that kind of, he said, if I was a fan, kind of using his language to give away the fact that he's not a fan, if he was a fan he wouldn't have accepted, was it Sheffield? I think it was the Sheffield performance. Um, so he kind of, I, I think I think somewhere in there, he knows that it's not acceptable, that the performances are shit. But although maybe it's, it's just lip service, I don't know. Also, to your point of the last six games, it's not. It's not false, is it? It's. It's this sort of post-truth world. He could. Do, he could go a press conference and say we've been stuck on nineteen points for the last two games. Well, that's that's true. It's just that it goes further than that. So it's just this kind of like reframing the truth a little bit. The Sheffield United comments have always annoyed me because one, yes, he he, he, he alludes to the fact that he's he is or he isn't a fan, and that he would be disappointed with that. But he only ever talks about the first half. So of the whole season, he's only willing to admit that for 45 minutes we've been poor and then he almost writes off the second half because we're down to 10 men and that was just bad luck. So for this season, as far as he's concerned, or at least he's representing himself, we've been poor for 45 minutes and nothing else. He's absolutely deluded. He's, he's ridiculous. Another quote. When you go on a run, 
it's how you handle it. I must stress, we're not alone. There are other teams and difficult runs, and it's how, about how you handle it and keep working hard. That's all you can do. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll open it to you three, whoever wants wants to respond. But again, uh, trying to be objective and trying to be fair. How are we handling it? So it's about how you handle it. Because as far as I can see, it's play a range of different formations, make numerous changes to your team, and still get beat quite easily. Anyone want to disagree or like how? What do you think he means here? Trying to be fair. What the fuck does he actually mean? Because I don't know. I'm sorry, <clears throat> Norman. You go. I'm, I've spoken. Thank you, Charlotte. You're welcome. But thanks. Um, I think what frustrates me is this whole mantra of we'll have to keep working hard, we'll have to keep working hard. Like, I don't care if you go in, if he goes into work 16 hours a day, right? And is on the training ground 16 hours a day, right? That could be considered working hard. But when you're doing now what you're doing, when you're doing now what you're doing, it doesn't matter how hard you work, it's not going to produce anything. In fact, I would say that the harder Steve Roof works on the training ground, the worse we get, because the more input he puts into that team, the worse we will get. So this whole working hard narrative, nah, absolutely not at all. It's just, it is, it's a kind of empty, meaningless platitude. And I just want to throw one more thing in as well, this whole weight of the world on his shoulders, right? If anyone's saying he's got weight of the world on his shoulders, yeah, he has the crack, right? You're on millions of pounds a year, right? You're managing a football team. If you can't handle it, if you feel the weight of the world on your shoulders, quit this isn't a zero-hour contract. You're not wondering where your next meal's coming from. You're not thinking, if I don't, if I don't get into work, if I don't get into work for the seven hours that I've been given yesterday, I'm not going to be able to feed me kids. It's, you're managing football for millions of pounds. We at the world in your shoulders, nah, not having it. Um, and one final thing um, before I basically have heart failure. Um, <laughs> I've been criticised for everything. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. You can read this one out, Norman. <laughs> Oh, he's on mute. Uh, I'll read it. I'll read it. Look, I've been criticised for everything, so I don't. So I don't necessarily agree with that either. Look, we are a bottom half of the Premier League club, and that's where we've been for a while now. And of course, I assume there's more to that one. Um, you know what? Um, we, uh, you criticise for everything. Um, a way around that is to not be shit at everything. But also, this is this is the kind of post-truth stuff. It's like, you know, we're, we're a bottom-half team. What do you expect? Well, we'll just play two bottom-half teams, Steve, who've been in the bottom <laughs> half nearly all season. Villa finished fucking 17th last year. 17th they finished. Their bottom-half team. Leeds are bottom-half team. Beat them bottom-half all season. Beat with 5-2. Like, they, 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 he's trying to construct a narrative. Ten men for Ten men for them. Ten, ten, ten men for them. West Brom, who played what off the pitch? Sheffield United, our <laughs> bottom half team, and, and, and comfortably beat us. It's like he's trying to create this version of reality where all of the odds, both the, the odds are against him. He gets a lot of unfair criticism because people don't know what they're talking about, and the fans are naturally like evil or something. Um, but also that this is, you know, these are the conditions in which I work. You, you all don't understand. This is what it's like. You know, what you see now, it is what he is trying to present is, is that this. And what he is producing is almost like the baseline. Like, this is acceptable, and we'll, we'll, we can get worse from here, and it can get better from here. Whereas I would say, we can't get any worse as a team. We'll go into every single game. No, like, Andy, who, who, who listened to this thought would win last night? I'm a single Newcastle fan. Who th well, George Colton actually, in your show, Charlotte, went for a 1 0 win, the idiot. <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> the idiot. Oh, I think just try to be optimistic. 
Yeah, but I, I agree with you, actually. I don't think anyone thought we were playing Aston Villa. Aston Villa we were playing, who were 12th. And in, in, we haven't, you know, we're half an hour. We still haven't talked about the match. Um, but but from to suggest that this is just how it has to be. And and, and, and it really frustrates me, actually, the, the kind of narrative um, that that I've seen by some people in the media. You know, some, some might call them traditionally. They might fall into the friends of Steve Bruce Camp. But it's like, well, it's never been any any different under Ashley, has it? It's just it's just what it's like under Ashley. Well, no, no one gave Steve McLaren that defense. No one, no one gave John Carver that defense. No one gave Alan Pardew that defense, did they? You know, Rafa's critics in the media, of which there are many still, didn't give Rafa Benitez the defense. In fact, you had the same people now saying that about Steve Bruce in the national media, with the same people in the national media saying Rafa Benitez wasn't doing a good enough job with the resources available to him. So. It's just, yeah, it's just an absolute shit show. We're going to have to talk about the match eventually, but Norman, let's talk about Rafa's pre, um, Bruce's pre-game comments on Rafa Benitez. Yes, please, mate. That was fantastic um, hosting by bringing up Rafa, just as I wanted to talk about Rafa. Fantastic work. Um, look, um, uh, I mean, I was a huge Rafa Benitez fan. He's an incredible manager, and I don't care if I've if I mentioned him like a zillion times since Bruce took over. The reason I do it is because you can't help but compare what you've got now to what you had when what you had was like three million times better. It's just like it's a, it's like a natural human response. Um, now, Bruce, Bruce has clearly had a vast B, like I'm talking like, you know, like a supersonic gigantic B in his bonnet about <laughs> from day one, like the, the 50 foot horror type B in his bonnet. And it's, and, and he's never actually explicitly criticised Rafa, but what he's done is he's used these like really sarcastic, bitter descriptions. In this, Rafa was a, quoting verbatim here, by the way. Rafa was a world class manager, but we matched the mighty Rafa last year. Rafa, who I have obviously heard a lot about, where did he finish? Right now, it, it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Say what it is. It's pathetic. It is truly pathetic, right, to, to respond like that. It is childish, utterly childish. And to me, that is just indicative of, of every comment that he makes. That is, they're all criticising me. Uh, you know, this is unfair. And all of his pals in the media sticking up for him. It's truly ridiculous that nobody's picked him up on that. The mighty, I mean, he called the man the mighty Rafa. It is, it, it, it's beyond ridiculous. And and I mean, I didn't have any any respect for him as a manager, anyways. But that to me is just, I mean, end of days. And also, like the um, the fact that uh, you know he finished in the same position as Rafa. All right, then fair enough. Both both finished in thirteenth place, right? But let, let's get let's get pedantic about it. Um, under Rafa, that season we finished in thirteenth, scored forty two, conceded forty eight, minus six goal difference. Steve Brusso came in to to progress us, yeah, progress us. Finished with one point less, being a bit pedantic, but it's still one point less. Also, scored 38, i.e. scored 10 less, one goal per game. Conceded 58, so that's 10 more, with so a, a minus 20 goal difference compared to a minus 6 one. And if you want to be even more pedantic, last season we finished 10 points off the top 10. In the season that we finished 30 under the Rafa, it was 7 points. So I work here, you finish in the same place, but I don't see any signs of progress or improvement, and that's what was promised, right? Yeah. Sorry to just put in the 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 contention that 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 was Rafa's pinnacle, it or or the implication that that was Rafa's pinnacle is what really is angers me about it because that was Rafa, you know, 
starting point, in my opinion, you know, this was something I was going to build on or, or should have been able to. And it's not about matching him. It's about like, I, 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 I don't know, <laughs> despair. It's like, yeah, that was not. Um, last, last, the season, last, Rafa's last season, we started the first three or four months without a centre forward. Uh, Rondon came in at the very end of the window on loan, hadn't mm. done any training, had no pre-season. So it wasn't until about November that we had Rondon fit and firing. And then from that point on, when we had a, a fairly, and again, it was a modest squad, all things considered, and it wasn't as expensively assembled as Steve Bruce's squad is now. Um, and we went on a, an incredible run from November through to the end of the season and, and finished only 13th, but with everything going in the right direction. Um, whereas... And yeah, you only got Almiron for, for half a season. So there's a huge difference between Rafa's 13th and Bruce's 13th. You, you inherited that team that had been going upwards and then just flipped it on its head. And it still bothers me now that, that it's taken this long to to be proven right about that, that happening. But, you know, here we are after two years of utterly wasted time. Newcastle's bench last night. Uh, with a value of over £100 million. So, you know, in, in terms of comparison of resources, and that, you know, we don't have time to get into to the flaws in Newcastle's recruitment. By the way, after each transfer window, Steve Bruce has said he has been very happy. He has been very happy with the, tra- the transfer windows that he's had. He might not be happy about this one because um, the club is losing a fortune, but the previous three, including the loans in January, publicly he stated, very pleased, very pleased with that. Um, one of my biggest issue, and let's talk about the game now, and we've eventually had to come around to it. One of my biggest issue with 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 what Bruce has said, and the way he approaches games, and the way games just seem to be like the, you know individual games seem to mean very little to him, and that is that's the opposite of of the fan experience of a game. Now I appreciate we're not at matches at the minute. Um, and haven't been for some time. It might not be for a little while, so there is a little bit of, of difference there. But I also don't think Bruce's approach was any different last season. You know, and this is probably what you said quite a lot, Norman. It's what you said when he came. Is that Steve Bruce to me? And let's compare it to Rafa Benitez. Um, is very comfortable with defeat. It doesn't. It doesn't seem to sting him. It doesn't seem to hurt him. And it doesn't seem. It doesn't seem particularly bothered by it. You know, he, he has a lot of excuses, and he talk. You know, it's the way that he talks about it being. Well, this is the this, this is the life of a bottom half team. Whereas Rafa Benitez, you could tell every single defeat stung him. He was in a foul mood after every defeat. And as a fan, think how many you know individual memories and experiences of games that we've got. And, and, and normally you, you've spoke, you know, I, I pick on you because you, you know, you're abroad for a lot of, of, of the games in your twenties. I, I think I'm not incorrect in by saying that. Um, but you, you know, when we're talking about great games we've been at, whether it's Newcastle in the champions league or under Bobby Robson or games under Graham Souness, even if you're watching on TV, you're able to, to make some kind of emotional connection to memories in your life about football matches, where you were, what you were doing, the rest of your life, the, the feelings of joy and the emotion that those games give you. And Steve Bruce, to me, is is like he's the anti that. It's like we well, just lose, you just you just get beat, you know, you get beat. This is the this is the part. So we're going to Arsenal not have a shot, and we're going to Villa and not have a shot. And most managers would be that would annoy them. That would there'd be something deep inside them. That is, you know, that thing which is, you know, either as a player or a manager or both, which has driven them, as, you know, as they've gone on throughout their careers, the winner in them, 
and it just doesn't seem to be there. But I also, get, you know, I also find that to use that word again, like distressing or, or offensive, that it, it's it's almost like as a fan now, I feel like if I wasn't doing this podcast and doing everything we do with True Faith, I don't know if I'd be watching the games because what's the point? What is the point of sitting down? And you know, it's 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 um everyone's different. I don't know, there'd be people in different parts of the world and in different circumstances, but we're in a lockdown in the UK, I go to work every day. So I'm and, and I I'm lucky personally for that because I have that routine, I can leave the house. Not everyone would want to do that, and not everyone or people who do want to do that can't. But so I look forward to the weekend. It's not like the weekend is just another day. And to to use to, to, to use up like pretty much a whole evening because it's talking to you guys on WhatsApp. It's, you know, Charlotte, watch your show. You do the show and then it's watching the game and then it's producing a load of content afterwards. Uh, whether, you know, sometimes I do the YouTube video or speaking to people or planning this show. And I just, I just feel like what, like what am I actually doing watching the match? Because last night when the manager comes out and says that he's pleased with what he saw or large parts of it, I just feel we're just, we're almost engaged in something that 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 doesn't act actively wants us to do it because what Steve Bruce wants you to do is just accept we're a mid-table team. So you might lose, you might go and not win a match for for ten games, score one goal in that time, one goal in twelve hours. It, it's this idea that that last night is anything other than unacceptable. I can't reconcile with that, and I find it difficult to get behind a team and a manager who, who think like that, where, where it gets to the point where I start begrudging him success, any success, because he doesn't believe it, he doesn't deserve it, Si. Yeah, uh, absolutely brilliantly put, and you're absolutely right about Benitez. When we lost games, he was he was fuming, and it, you, could, you felt fuming with him, and you felt like he was on your side, and he was angry for the same reasons you were angry. Um, Bruce, um, as you mentioned on last week's podcast, I think, Norman, um He's only angry at the criticism he's receiving for for the for the, um, for the game. But I think the only other massive difference between Benitez and Bruce, or there's, there's millions of them obviously, but the other one I'm, I want to talk about is when we lost a game and Benitez was asked after the game about what had gone wrong and what what do you think um, why we, why he thinks we lost. His answer was so well well done. You know, it, it made absolute sense. He analysed the game properly. He described what he think had gone wrong, what the things he think we'd done well were. Boy, things I think we hadn't done. You know, you might say something like, "We we we held on to the ball well. We just didn't um, make enough space." Blah blah blah. You, you know, you would give you a proper analysis of the match. Bruce just says, "Well, we managed to get um, Max Mann back on the pitch after after months out. That's all he had." Like, he doesn't understand the football he's watching. He hasn't got the words to describe what went wrong, what went right. He has no idea when he, he the, the lads will have a day off today. When um when they go to training on Monday morning, he will have no clue what it is he needs to do to change what happened last night or the week before, the week before. He's just going to go and chuck players on the pitch again, see who's fit, and just and just probably sit and cross his fingers and hope that he gets a win. And then he'll come out after that game and say, I told you, I told you. And it'll be utter fluke. It's a great point, Sai. And it's something I want to talk about. You know, we've got one training session probably. And maybe they'll do a light training session on Tuesday morning with it being a home game um, to fix that. And I've I've talked before on the podcast about how it's you know it doesn't look a game a month a year ahead and I you know appreciate the very very few managers do I'd say Rafa Benitez did but I think Bruce with the security that he has in his job that that I think if Newcastle were to continue with their one point a game ratio which would take us to thirty eight points 
more than likely that's enough to stay up normally, he would keep his job. Um, I think, you know, he's got so much security that he, that, he, that he is afforded that space to look to the future, that he is afforded to think two or three games down the line. How on earth can we go to Aston Villa? Well, I'll take it back one more. We'll go to Sheffield United and play five at the back. We'll go to Arsenal and play four at the back. And then we'll go back to five at the, club, the back for Aston Villa. Just, I can't, like, I'm genuine. I'm, I'm not trying to just be anti Russia. I cannot think of, of why you would do that. Now, now maybe if Kieran Clark was fit, because he, because Cher has to come in alongside Lascelles, and you might think Cher can't play in a back four. But I, I don't think, I think that's about that, you know, if that was the reason for it, I think that's a terrible reason. You know, you're seeing the consequences now of a lack of planning, and normally you hit the nail on the head. The, the more he tries to change things, the worse we get. The more he tries to imprint his own style on the team, the worse he gets. Now, if you look at one of his comments from um, pre-game, you know, we've defended deep and played on the counter pretty much since I've been at the club. The Premier League website says we've scored one goal on the counter-attack this season, which was Everton. Um, what my way is to try and get us 20 or 30 yards higher up the pitch... Now, fair, no, now, fair enough. If you know, I, I agree. Newcastle, with the right players and the right team selection, the right coaching and the right tactical setup, can play that formation in the Premier League. We've seen it work. It can work. A lot of drawbacks, and it doesn't always work. You are, you are almost always when playing that formation, surrendering midfield control. Almost always. So you have to play counter attack. But if you want to play counter attack, playing twenty or thirty yards higher up the pitch, that is one dangerous way to play. But but ignoring that, we don't do that. You know how many goals do we concede with players sprinting through one on one on our keeper? None. How many times does our you know defense get turned around? I think actually Sheffield United was possibly one when Fernandez you know gave away the penalty. But but what, this this idea about we're going to play this really defensive formation, but we're going to play 20, 30 yards higher up the pitch. If you're going to play twenty thirty yards higher up the pitch, you have to press teams. It's impossible to stand off and be as passive as we do. But also play twenty or thirty. Twenty or thirty yards, by the way, is a long way. And I know it's Bruce, and he couldn't give an exact answer. But twenty or thirty yards isn't like a, you know. I would say normally a team would play five or ten yards further forward, or five or ten yards deeper. Play twenty or thirty yards further. <laughs> pitch is like it's pretty much playing on the halfway line, for God's sake. <laughs> like, but but then if play, you're not play like a, a kilometer forward, probably about that. <laughs> Um, so I just this is this is it, it's happened again where like I'm trying to actually picture what he's saying, um, but if you're not going to press teams, which we're not, we've made that abundantly clear in Steve Bruce's time here. If you're not going to press teams and you want to play a high line, but you also want to play with three centre backs, like I don't actually know if that's ever been tried by a football team ever. So I don't know from the the cusp of some kind of cutting edge tactical genius here from Bruce and the Steves, but um, but I don't think so. Sigh. This is the same Steve Bruce who sort of balked and laughed at the suggestion that there was anything, even such a thing as tactics. Early on when he was being questioned of his tactics, oh, now it's tactics, oh, here we go. You know, he doesn't understand what it, any of the things you've just talked about, high line, you know, pressing, he thinks are the same thing. He thinks that, um, and he, he only got that from the, po- I don't know who interviewed him after the Liverpool game and said, well, it was quite pleasing. You, you lads seemed to press a bit more and you got a bit higher at the pitch. He went, well, yes, that's what we've been working on. It's just literally, literally bluffing his way through that. But in terms of the uh, the pressing last night, just to talk about the game a little bit, I thought it looked like, at least in the first 10 minutes, there was a little bit of a press there. 
Um, I thought, well, weirdly enough, Andy Carroll and John Joe Shelby were, were, were chasing down their men early doors and we were trying to nick the ball in their half. And maybe that was what he found encouraging, Charlotte. Um, <laughs> but the, um, the, the ludicrous thing about if that was the plan, right, we're going to press them and try and nick the ball in their half, which is, you know, think of how many goals we concede when teams press us and we concede the ball, you know, 30 yards from our own goal. If we were going to try and nick an early goal that way, then great. But what on earth is the press with John Joe Shelby, Jeff Hendrick, Andy Carroll? How is that ever, ever going to work? And no wonder they were all knackered. You know, Andy Carroll was, was non-existent in that entire game. Shelby was done by half time, but actually Shelby was done after 13 minutes when he didn't track the fullback who overlapped, which was his man, who put the cross in for the first goal because he'd spent the first 10 minutes doing this weird early press. Um, so if he wants to, the team to work hard and press, you need players like Isaac Hayden in midfield, not in centre-half, and you need John Joe Shelby back in Newcastle, not on the team coach, you know, and Andy Carroll should be nowhere near the pitch. He cannot press as a team with passengers, and we've got too many of them in that selection. Didn't... Um... Shelby completely ignore Triori's movement for the second goal as well. Just not yes. track at all. Um, the comment, the 20 to 30 yards higher up the pitch comment, so i.e. like basically we're going to play a quarter or a third of the way higher up the pitch, which is a vast amount of space on a football pitch. Um, it's a bold comment to make. It, it's the same slapdash, lazy, non-thought-through comment that we've got five, six or seven lads with COVID. It's the same kind <laughs> of comment. We've got like yeah. four or five injuries. It's not, not like there's specifics here. You know what I mean? You're just, you're just plucking a figure out of nowhere with no thought at all. And it ties in. And it, it just it ties into the, the complete and utter disdain, I would say, for any kind of forensic tactical input. And as you said, Sai, he said it on numerous occasions. He doesn't do tactics, but now he does tactics. But the tactics he does are seeing things like we're going to play 20 to 30 yards up the pitch. We've got six or seven players injured. We've got five to seven out with COVID. It's absolutely outrageous. Let's talk about someone who potentially might be coming in um, to provide this um, tactical input. Uh, I don't know which one of you wants to lead on this, but uh, feel free. Um, Norman, Charlotte, who are you pointing at? Sorry, listeners can't can't see you. Oh, we've got we've got a competition. Should we do a quiz? I think Norman's probably more um, equipped to, but I'll have a go. I wouldn't I wouldn't suggest that for a second, Charlotte. So please go ahead. (laughs) It's um. Graham Jones, he's going to fix everything. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? He um he managed uh, Luton for one year, maybe less. Was it less? Less. 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 41 games. 41 games for Luton. And he's from Newcastle. Um, yeah. Gateshead, sorry. Newcastle Gateshead. And... Uh, and he, I think, I think, well, George spoke about him on my show last night. He's he's worked under Martinez, so um, so he must be good. Um, and uh, and apparently he has uh, been given approval to go and talk to Newcastle United about coming in to freshen up the coaching staff. Um, and uh, and yes, um, Steve Bruce was asked about it in the post-match comments last night and he shut the reporter down. He was like, I'm not discussing that. Personally, my take on his body language at that point was that he is not very impressed by all of this. He doesn't particularly want that. Totally my take. I, I, I truly don't know anything about it. Um, I, 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 would, I would be... If, if you think about Steve Bruce as a, as a character... 
Um, I think that he takes things incredibly personally. His skin seems quite thin. And I would be very surprised if he had identified this man and wants him to come and refresh his training staff. I, I personally can't see him having that self-awareness and proactivity to have done that and so my take on this and I do want to be absolutely clear that this is what I think and I don't know for sure is that he's been told he has to bring this guy in I don't know by who because again that uh, the idea that the powers that be at Newcastle United have also had the proactivity or the or the wherewithal to go and locate and scout this man that doesn't compute for me either but apparently he is um he is in talks to come in and uh and sort of deputize and and refresh our methods um personally i can't see what impact that's going to have he's not uh an acclaimed not that you need acclaim maybe he's really driven maybe he's got loads of ideas and i will give him a chance if he does if he does pop up in the training ground um in the next week or so but um but yes it's it's been a bit of an odd story i think coming out this week and it, and it does look like there's some truth in it the I the think. concerning thing sorry norman i'll let you i'll let you go well just be quick i think the his credentials as a coach like if you look at them they're not you know you can't really say they're bad i mean he was in charge um of the coaching side of things with the belgian national side under martinez um so, you know, he's worked with some fairly outrageous players before, right? Um, so coming in as a coach, if that was just a Bruce appointment as a coach, if Bruce had said, I need to get someone in to give me a hand, this lad's got decent credentials, credentials he's available. Fair enough. You know, fair enough. That's that's a sign of like somebody saying, actually, I do need help. Well, to me, it looks like he's having Jones imposed on him, which is the equivalent of you doing your job. You're half coming up and saying, we're just going to bring someone in to give you a bit of a hand because I can see you're struggling. You wouldn't really take it very well, would you? Um, and... I think what frightens me is that he's being brought in with an eye on the future in the sense that if Bruce is binned after the next two or three games, Jones is there to step up. He's another kind of cheap um, option to, to put in charge. And, and that would be a deep concern because in terms of his managerial record, when he started managing like as an actual manager at the age of 49, and he has got a 29% win record at Luton. And the thing is, you can see, well, it's Luton. They were going to struggle. Nathan Jones took over from him and they basically won all the games and stayed up. So, you know, there is there is a very slight concern about him as a potential future manager. Um, but as a coach, that, that doesn't that doesn't concern me. Um, however, if I was Bruce and this was being imposed on me, that would probably make me rethink my position. Uh, it's exactly it. Um... Norman, from what I've read about him, he's he's a first team coach. He is a he's a John Carver, and we don't need at this moment in time a John Carver. You know, he probably tells his mates he's the best coach in the world as well. And maybe he is. Maybe he's a really good coach, but maybe he's class. He's really good with plastic cones. You can set up loads of training drills, and maybe you get the players training a little bit better. But that's that's not even close to what we need to sort out the problems at Newcastle United. Um, a, a coach who, as as everyone just said, he, he left Luton when they were bottom or, or 23rd in the championship. He barely won any games. That, it's clearly not a, uh, his skills aren't transferable to managing a football team as John Carver's weren't. He didn't know what to do when when things were going badly. He didn't know how to speak to the press. Um, so all of these things are going to be a problem again. And we, we need a new manager. We need someone who understands football, who understands tactics, who understands the Premier League, and who is able to conduct a 
semi-sensible conversation with a journalist. None of these things Bruce has. And I, I'm just, I don't know enough about Graham Jones, but I doubt he has all those credentials either. And that's what we need right now. Another coach is going to have little to no impact, in my opinion, on, on Newcastle United and the direction we're headed. I really I'm like just... the idea. Oh, sorry. No, go on, Charlotte. I really like the idea that, like, on your CV, you'd write, like, I'm really good with plastic cones. So, <laughs> yeah. you should hire me. Um... I I can provide a little bit of a scouting report, and I've searched my WhatsApp messages here to take us back to our WhatsApp group on the seventh of March, twenty twenty. Um, last, for, for, funnily enough, though, so I'm also looking. This is after we beat Southampton. Norman, you were there. Um, I was at my friend's kind of birthday. We went. He's a he's a Luton fan, so we went to see Luton play at Wigan away from home. Um, Sai, we're just beating Southampton. Funny enough, Sai, this is off topic. You've just put, we won't get another seven points this season. Proven wrong there, weren't you? For all yeah, I've been proven right about <laughs> that since. Um, yeah. But um, Mickey asked me in the WhatsApp group, how was Wigan Luton? I said, a dire game, but a, d- a good day out. I can't get around how negative Wigan were against such a poor Luton team, but Luton were also very negative considering their league position. Luton have lads playing for them who were in League Two before back-to-back promotions, so it's a miracle they have as many points as they do. They are very poor. <laughs> That's from straight from the horse's mouth. About uh, the Luton fans hated um, hated Jones, hated him, hated his negativity. Is his name Jones? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. dead over because Luton had Nathan Jones, then Graham Jones, then went back to Nathan Jones. Um, Nathan Jones left them to go to Stoke, and it didn't work. Graham Jones took over. And was going to get them relegated. You know, uh, it's kind of neither here nor there. I agree with everything that's been said, and I think that he will assume control of the team. Um, I would say if the sack Bruce, when the sack Bruce, because he will get sacked. Um, and the concern, like you say, is you know, is he good enough, and and what does the future of the club hold? Um, you know, I have to I have to be condescending towards the people that run the club and say. Um, was where Graham Jones was born, influenced this decision. I mean, how often do we pay money for coaches from other clubs, if ever? And it seems like, right, they've, they've, they've typed in a football manager, born, put in like a list of any postcodes, found him. <laughs> um, but you're right, Charlotte, that Bruce is, you know, normally when someone would say something like, you would just say, well, I, you know, there, there, there's talks ongoing, I believe, or, you know, I can't say anything at all. There's media speculation about stuff. I'm just going to concentrate on winning the next game. He would never say that winning the next game because that would imply that you're supposed yeah. to win the, the next match whereas this is just what happens when you're the, playing the it team. just yeah, playing, playing it. the next game That's the absolute um, limit. <laughs> it's like going back to um what you were saying Sai, about bruce being really pleased with himself for getting two players on the pitch it's like at the end of the season when he's asked to do a debrief he'd be like well we have fulfilled every single game right every single <laughs> game turned up at every single game we're there you know we didn't. We cancelled games because of COVID. We had to get them rearranged. You can't even say that. We're getting can't them rearranged, even. though, Sai. That's really encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. Players out on the pitch, Sai, man. You've got to get behind the lads. Yeah, even uh, when it snowed, we managed to... The groundsman did an excellent job. He got the pitch ready for, for those games. I think that's everything, unless unless I've missed anything out there. We've done nearly an hour. Wasn't expecting to do so. We pretty much haven't talked about the game, Norman. Yeah. <laughs> I just want one quick comment. I'm not even, I'm not even going to, like... Comment on it at all. I'm just going to repeat what Steve Bruce said because it's it's spectacular. Um, we forgot to say this. We won't be entertaining. We don't have enough. 
Cheers. <laughs> for, for once, for once, as, as long as the we he's referring to is the coaching staff, which I don't believe it is, uh, <laughs> he would be absolutely correct. Thank you for, for listening to or watching the True Faith podcast. We've got another podcast coming up for free uh, Tuesday after Leeds. I believe Adam, Mickey, and maybe one of you three will be joining them. I'm not sure who oh, the lineup is. Ben, maybe as well. And then uh, I'll probably be back. Um, what? Who do we play after Leeds? We'll play someone else. Someone yeah. else. <laughs> I've repressed. You don't, you don't bother looking anymore. Do you? you don't bother looking at the fixtures because like, what's that to look forward to? Is it what Patrick? Everton away. Oh yeah, easy three points under Steve. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks for thanks for listening. Uh, we have lots more podcasts coming up on our Patreon platform this week. Uh, Six pounds a month for lots of extra Newcastle United content. You've also got the Charlotte Show on this very YouTube channel coming up Friday. Friday. Um, guest Friday. guest to be announced. Do you know who's doing yes, it? Yeah, somebody from within our ranks. I can't pull in the the big dogs every week, um, <laughs> but I'm more than happy and honoured to be joined by whoever chooses to. So Friday night, Norman, do you want to come on on Friday? No, no, no I just wanted to say that um, I like your comment. No, no. Um, I can't pull in the big dogs. I'll just have to make do what I got. Kenny like Steve Bruce talking about. You know what? Out. You know what? The the two faith team is shit, and uh, <laughs> and uh, no, I don't think that. I absolutely love. My show, no, you've never been able to get the best two on the pitch at the same time, Charlotte. That's the problem. That is the problem, <laughs> but I'm encouraged by um, I'm encouraged by the shows so far, and I do think that there's potential. So, on that note, we'll say goodbye. <laughs> For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.